I have this interesting experience with um, the Gemara's here. You know, as people, we go through, we're all going through stuff. We've all got lots of stuff in our head, right? Not you, Graf, I'm saying everyone else. You are mamas clean-headed. But we've, we've got, we've got, we've got, we're all working through, we've all got, we're working through stuff. And there's a lot of real, real difficult challenges that we're confronting on a daily basis. Sometimes they're more intense, sometimes they're less intense, sometimes they internal, sometimes they're external, sometimes Khalila, it's a sick relative, sometimes it's a real issue with what am I going to do with the next stage of my life, sometimes it's internally how do I cope with myself, what's my identity, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff that we're dealing with. And I was like trying to think when I was, when I was preparing for the Gemara share, I was trying to think, you know, why would anyone deeply invest themselves in learning about Azurek Getl Ishtoy, which, which is a seemingly such an obscure halacha. When you throw, when the man throw, throws, right? Throws. This is, this, I don't know people, are they get throwers today? I know they're shot putters and javelin throwers. Are they get throwers? When a person throws a get, and where does he throw it? He doesn't throw it into arm. No, no, no. He throws it into her yard. Yes, yeah, so she has to have a yard. Oh, well, kind of a complicated yard. A yard that you... It's, it's so obscure. It's so seemingly, it's, no, not seemingly, it is absolutely irrelevant to my life. To my life, to your life, certainly to Bochim's lives, right? They don't have wives to throw gets at them. <laughs> so it's irrelevant, and hopefully it will never, ever, ever, ever be relevant. And then you've got all these massive issues on your head, and then you plunge into the sugi, and you, sugi and you think to yourself, what in the world am I doing? I've got all this stuff going on and I'm spending my time doing this. It's, it's ludicrous. It's crazy. It's insane. Why am I doing it? So that's kind of the thought that went through my mind as I was preparing shit. Like, how? I've just spent time speaking to these people and I know what's on their plates and it's big stuff. So why are they going to put their heads into this? Um, so it was a point that we've made repeatedly is that the, the content, the informational content of Torah is not the Torah. It's the casing of the Torah. The Torah is an energy. It's a light. It's a force. It's an influence. And you, in order for it to be accessible, it has to, it has to manifest in this world. In some, we, have to have, we have to have accessibility in our physical form to it. We're not spiritual beings. The whole struggle of this world is to try to unlock the spiritual within the physical. So the physical is a kli. It's a vessel that contains the spiritual light. But it needs, everything in this world needs a vessel to contain the light. There's no vessel, so the light will just break the rules of this world. That doesn't work. So the Torah, which is the highest energy field possible, it's so powerful, it certainly needs to be contained. So HaKadosh Baruch contained it in these things called Sukkim, Tractates, Mishnayas, Gemaras, Rishonim, Achronim. He put that energy in these ideas. So that when a person deeply involves himself in the idea, he unlocks the energy. And that energy is a purifying force. That energy is, is an uplifting, potentially transformational force. Now, if you see Torah that way, you see it as, as an experience of, of purification. Of, of It's analogous to, perhaps, I thought, to back in the day of cassette recorders, tape players 
Now, many of you would never have seen those in your lifetime. <laughs> but for those of you who can remember into the distant past, so there was a machine called the tape player that you'd put in a cassette and you'd push play. You'd actually have to push it and it would go down. It would be like the, not a button that you push and it just like lights up. It actually pushes it's actually a physical thing. Your, your finger left an impression on the button to remain down and it would play. Now what would happen over a course of time is the heads of the tape recorder would become dirty and they would create static in the sound. So you'd want to clean the heads. Now you could clean it with a cotton bud, but they sold on the market cleaning cassettes. That you'd put the cassette into the tape recorder, you'd push play, and all you'd hear is But doing so, the tape that this was made of was a cleaning, it had a cleaning agent on it, and it would clean the heads, so when you put other tapes in it, it would play and there would be no static. So, I figured out that's a little bit what learning Gomorrah is. It's trying to clean the heads in your head so that the static goes. It's not that it takes away the issues, but it allows you some time away from the issues so they don't engulf you. Engulf you. It's not healthy to be thinking about stuff all day long, even if you've got big challenges. To become absorbed in the thoughts about the challenges can become very, very destructive, very self-defeating. To compartmentalize the amount of time that you're willing to devote to those thoughts is a very healthy and it's a very strong and um, courageous psychological act to perform, but very beneficial. Because when a person has thoughts going on in his head and all they do is dominate his waking life, so then it can lead to all different types of conflict complications and dysfunctionality and stuff if you can actually say okay I'm, going to, I'm not going to avoid the issues, I'm going to confront the issues but I'm also going to have other parts to my life which are free of those issues so it requires a lot of strength mentally and emotionally but what you can do is you can invest let's say in something and then it becomes fascinating, if you look at Torah that way the fact that it's so irrelevant is such a relief because it provides such an easily accessible portal for you to enter through where there's no, there's no, there's no baggage. You have no baggage attached to Azori Ketli Ishtoi. The Shai is, what's a chotzi? Is it Yad? Is it Yad? Is it Smuch? Is it Dvuka? No, it's a Yad. It's a Yad. But it's, is it, what is Yad? Is Yad Smuch? Is Yad Mishtemesa Daita? Is it? <laughs> it's a whole world, it's like a schmucker world of what is a chotzer. What is a chotzer? You know, you think you look, you go past a courtyard, you think it's a courtyard, it's not a courtyard, it's this living, breathing entity that has all these incredible powers of acquiring and how and where and who and what's the relationship between the woman and that. So that's such a safe place. Now, when you're doing that, the information that you're engaging in, you're putting it through the system called your mind. And you, to do it properly, you have to use absolutely everything up here. Yeah, there's nothing that goes unused from a cognitive perspective when you're learning Gomorrah. Believe me, I've tried to find things. I once bought a book called 101 Ways, or was it 100 Ways? I think it was 100 Ways, of teaching people how to think. And I went through the book. I, went through, I think I've gone through all 100 ways. And there isn't a, th- a single thinking skill that the book advocates one to teach that isn't automatically a part of learning Gomorrah. Now, that doesn't mean Gomorrah is there to teach you to think. Gomorrah is there to purify your entire mind so it has to address every single part of your thinking capabilities. And in each one of those areas, it has to breathe some fresh air in life. And when your mind is deeply absorbed in a sugi which is completely irrelevant, what's happening to you is you're playing a cleaning cassette over your brain. 
And then afterwards, the Chazan Ish, others, Reb Chaim Vilajan actually has a, a step-by-step process of how to get a deeper insight. I don't know if he says Ruach HaKodesh or not, which is spiritual intuition bordering on prophecy. I don't know if he says that, but he definitely describes a higher level of spiritual awareness. And he, and he, and he says the person has to make sure that he doesn't need to use the bathroom. And then if he learns one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, he plots the spiritual ascendance that a person goes through after that unbroken amount of time on learning, of learning. And he says that the person eventually reaches a stage where the physical, the spiritual world becomes completely cogent. A little bit like the Chazanish said, he used to live in Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak in the summer is an oven. And it's a humid oven. It's a sauna maybe. It's a sauna. So people have air conditioning. Chazanish did not have air conditioning. But he learned for hours and hours and ends. So people said, well, how do you do it? So he said, the truth is the first 45 minutes are hard. But after that, who knows? uh, How can you? I don't experience heat and temperature after that because I'm in the sugya. So when you're in the sugya. And then you you start to understand a whole array of alakas. And you understand that when we learn, we're not learning. We're like dabbling in, in a little bit of information seeking. We're not learning. The alochas, there's so many alochas, they abound in regard to, if a person's learning, so you can't start learning before you have something to do. You can't start learning before Badika's Chometz. You can't start learning before um, Chanukah. There's all these things that don't start learning. Why? Because there's this tremendous suspicion that once you're learning, you'll completely lose all track of time and you won't do the mitzvah. Now, I've been around this yeshiva long enough and I've actually never seen anyone miss lunch because they were like so engrossed in learning. <laughs> never seen it happen. I've never seen someone even... But there's anything because they're so engrossed in learning. So, so we have to be very careful that when, when, when learning is discussed, we don't automatically then assume that what we're doing is that kind of thing. Learning is a, is, is, is a process where a person completely and utterly involves himself. He buries himself, envelops himself in a world which is called the world of Torah. And in that world, as he goes more deeply into the ideas, the concepts, the logic, his entirety becomes absorbed into it until there's not a tiny portion of his thinking mind that's left out of the process. So, for you, my dear friend, and for all of us, don't think that the challenges and the struggles that we have and occupy our minds should take precedence over a seemingly irrelevant study. Four, by deeply investing oneself in in that study, it will allow you space, emotional and mental, apart from the enormous spiritual riches that you will gain through doing so. That was an aside. Really, we're not talking about any of that at all. What we're talking about is Shavuos. Aye, it's the day after. The point we made was that that's when you start speaking about Shavuos. The day after the event is when the event becomes relevant. The day before it hasn't happened. During the event, you're not aware of the power that it has over you. After the event, you start to understand if it's real or not. So we have to exploit and explore Shavuos after Shavuos the day after. And what we discussed was that Kabbalah Satoya, 
the receiving of the Torah really requires an internal transformation whereby we as people realign ourselves to becoming fully engaged in the performance of what Hashem wants as revealed to us in the Torah. And the difficulty with that is we don't, certainly in certain areas, want to do that. We'd rather go to the beach, play pool, cycle, skateboard, basketball. We'd rather bounce the ball and then throw it into a suspended net in the sky. For some reason, for many people that provides it with joy. It's interesting. To, to, uh, could be. I mean, there's not, I mean, some people enjoy tiddlywinks as well, which is a similar principle. You guys, tiddlywinks. You've never played tiddlywinks? It's like basketball, just it's smaller. What you do is you've got these a series of plastic discs. They're like small, they're thinner than a coin, and about the size of different shaped, co- shy size coins. And there's a, um, you put it on a table, let's say there's maybe a, a felt sheet. And in the center of the felt sheet, you place a small cup-like container. And what you have to do is you have to take the bigger disc and press it on the back of the smaller disc and thereby propel the small disc into the cup. It's like it's, it's basketball for lazy people. It's called tiddlywinks. And there are people that enjoy that. And there are people that enjoy basketball. And there are grown men who dress up in funny, funny clothing. Strange clothing. They wouldn't walk in the streets really that way dressed. And they prance about a very big piece of grass. 22 of these men. And they pant and chase after an inflated piece of leather with the passionate goal of positioning it in um, kind of a small little house which is, has a net at the back of it. And for some reason, this, they get possessed by the idea of placing that inflated piece of leather in the back of that, of that net. Um, it's strange, strange. An anthropologist would probably have a lot of str- trouble trying to explain it. But, you know, you could understand it, that you could justify it by saying, you know, people do need to run about a bit. It's important, like helps with the endorphins. And I could understand why the person would want to play the game, perhaps. Not to get passionate and crazy about it, but to play it, I would, I would understand it's fun. And what's really interesting, and this, this, this you'll be amazed at, there are people that actually then go and watch those other men. <laughs> now, that's really strange. That is exceptionally strange. Now, you'd think it's strange for people to actually take off the time to do that. Now, what's even stranger is there are individuals that will actually pay money to do so. Now, that's absurd. Now, if it would be like a few piastres, that may be still in some remote form of rationalization viable from an intellectual perspective, they'll pay lots of money for it. Again, you've got these 22 men. Men, not particularly talented in terms of their intellectual gifts and power of speech, but they are very good with feet. When it comes to feet, they're superb. I can't take that away from them. When it comes to what they can do with their feet, I mean, they are, they are, they are, they are really, really very, very sophisticated. In other words, if humanity was devoted to the perfection of foot skills, I think these people would be the paragons of humanity. It's like you kind of, kind of 
discount the entire intellectual framework of man's contribution to the world and you like locate you go down from the head and then you like discount the emotions as well and then you go down and you pass the knees and then you like focus on the foot and if man would be like about the foot, the lowest part of being that touches the very soil of the earth, and you think that's what man would be about, so these people would definitely be the highest point in, in the pinnacle of humanity. In other words, if you go to the lowest part of the human being. Um, but then again, people have heads. I mean, maybe people don't know that people have heads. They do use their heads as well, though. <laughs> Only surface of their feet. <laughs> so it's almost as if you've got people who are upside down. But I'm saying there are people that would kiss the feet of those reporters. So that's very strange. I find that exceptionally strange. Exceptionally, exceptionally strange. It's, 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 it's bordering on the absurd. It's bordering on the absurd. Why people would... Yeah, I can understand a, you know, a friendly game to like dismiss... Ten, that's, a, that's a great thing. It's beautiful. But then to take it seriously. You know what I'm saying? It's a game. Don't take it seriously. But, but, but them, for them to take it seriously... Uh, Okay, but for me to take them seriously, I'm sorry, that's bordering on insanity. It's bordering on insanity. But I suppose, look, the truth is, if everyone's insane, why not just like, tag along with it, right? Why should we think for ourselves? Why don't we just get pulled in with crowd mentality and become like, uh, what are those, like, crowd zombies? No, that's, 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 that's a good enough rationality. So, it's so funny, don't you find it strange? that people, um, people are very bad at being animals. They really aren't that good. For example, people swim. Yes? Take your average Olympic swimmer and let him like, compete against... Like, we won't say like a dolphin, because okay, dolphins are really good at swimming. <laughs> let's say like, like a quick goldfish. And let's see like, who can beat whom. So when a person, Olympic swimmer, like at the end of the, like the... When he reaches the height of his career, he can say, I'm so good, I can swim faster than a guppy. <laughs> you know, like you can't swim remotely close to a dolphin, and certainly not for the distances. And you say, Shkoyach, well done. And then you get like the guy who like becomes a sprinter, and like you race him. And get okay. We're not going to say a greyhound, right? We're not going to say an antelope. We're not going to say a cheetah, Shalom right? We'll think of like a very average animal, yeah, like a dachshund. Okay, maybe not a dachshund. Okay, but you imagine, you say, I'm so fast, I can beat a dachshund in a 100-meter sprint. I think that's such a yichus. So it's really interesting when, when, when humanity gets like a little bit confused about what they mean to be, and then they, they, they strive to be very biddy evid animals, and they get really excited when they succeed. Now that's the funny part, right? That's a really funny part. Like anything a human can do, you'll find someone in the animal world that can do it way better when it comes to the physical realm. So what are we good at? Well, we're good at thinking. I mean, I can outthink a dolphin. I can't outswim him. I can outthink an antelope. I can't outrun him. So why don't we work on that? Like, wouldn't that be the... There's a very interesting parody that some of my... One of my greatest uh, teachers, Monty Python, um, taught me about this idea in a skit called Philosopher's Football. I don't know if any of you have been privileged to learn this lesson in life, but the skit pits the, the Greeks against the Germans. Again, fictitious, but it manages to revive from the dead all the great Greek and German philosophers and put them where they should be, on the football field. So what happens is the ball's in the center waiting for someone to kick off, 
and you've got the Germans, you've got Heidegger, you've got Schopenhauer, you've got Nietzsche, you've got a real fantastic, fantastic team. The Greeks, you've got Archimedes, you've got Plato, you've got Socrates, you've got a real like an all-star lineup. And there they are, on the football pitch. And what are they doing? They're philosophizing. They've got Karl Marx walling up on the sidelines. Eventually, a little man with a nice little paunch. Eventually, they substitute him. <laughs> they substitute him. He runs onto the field and immediately goes into dialogue about the injustice to the proletariat. Um, and then you've got this, this, whole, like, this whole scene and, it's, and the crowds are like, getting uneasy. And at some point in time, Archimedes goes and he goes, Eureka. And he, he kicks up the ball and the Greeks score an astonishing goal and the crowds go to defeat in absolute standing ovation of the brilliance of their play. It's, it's, it's a very good skit. It's very funny. The shot is, what's the pshat? Took me, it took me years to be mimic in the pshat of what they really were trying to, to convey. But Lachoya, that's what they were trying to say. They're trying to say, when football becomes your value, so then the worth of an Archimedes becomes his foot skills. Your whole hierarchy of what's human has become so perverted that the in-depth analysis, the understanding, the philosophical greatness is only worth as much as how hard and well you can kick a ball. I thought there was an immensely powerful critique on the notion of the preeminence of football. I suppose that was British society, but today it could be a global, a global problem. Sport. That's before we, we, we go into the... Yeah, so the, the, but you understand how, how, how perplexing the preeminence of sports is in terms of why should it have such a hold over society? In America, they've got something called the World Series. It's America and Japan. For some reason, they hold that. No? The World Series. The world incorporates America and Japan. Now, I'm just impressed that Japan got in there. I don't know how that worked. So I'm saying, like, to include Japan in your world, I thought was extremely, extremely gratuitous. That was a really nice thing to do. And it becomes like it becomes quite a quite a. So that's interesting. I think that's that's that's, that's it's really kind of something we have to pause and think about. What is it all about? What is it all about? What 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 is driving people to this? At the end of the day, it's a ball and it's a net. There's nothing deeply significant. There's nothing deeply significant, and people get really, you know, and, and then you, then you, then you, then you prod. You see, so people, people who are avid football and other sports supporters, they'll say, well, it's because they like to watch the game. is a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to watch. See, that's where you catch them. So, they say, well, do you have a team that you support? And now we're going to a whole new arena of human comedy. So you say to the person, do you support a team? Because you'll find that most avid sports viewers always have a team they support. It's rare to find the person that doesn't care who wins. He just wants to watch the beauty of the game. So then you say to the person that just wants to watch the beauty of the game, well, do you support a team? And they obviously will admit the fact that they do support a team. Then you say to them, tell me honestly, say your team was in the finals after an arduous, challenging set of play-ups until that point in time. And they're leading by one goal. And in the last two minutes of the match, the opposing team scores two most brilliant goals. 
Would you be happy or sad? So if they're honest, they say, sad, we'll be broken. We'll go to the pub and get blind drunk. <laughs> so you say to them, but why? It was, those last two goals were absolutely beautiful soccer. Or again, if you're speaking about a less sophisticated sport, about enormously tall gentlemen bouncing a very bouncy rubbery ball. Now that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, if you think, if you think like grown men chasing after, going after, you know, in a big, very big field, I mean, this is like, it's not grass. It's not even out in the open. It's like indoors and it's like this funny surface and you get these very, very, I don't know where they get such tall people from. <laughs> but like, I mean, don't you think it's like unfair advantage? Like, Hooray, why? they should make it like, they should be like an adjustable hoop. That like, if you're dealing with like five foot two guys, so then you, you, it should be relative to the, to the height of the highest head. It's really not fair. You can't like, you know, the, the, the hoop is at a standard height, so they just grow people bigger until all they have to do is like plop it inside. I mean, that, isn't that taking away the fun of the game? It's also just like a very funny thing. Like you just grow people tall until you get like the tallest oaks in the world. They just go plop. <laughs> so I realize that I'm, I don't mean to, it looks like I'm treading on very, 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 very thin ice at this point in time. I'm getting like a lot of, sure, the energy is not so positive <laughs> towards me. Eh? When it was soccer, everything was, oh, America's smiling and laughing. Now you start speaking basketball and you realize you've reached sacred territory. Beware, <laughs> Siegel. Do not tread upon our holy grail. Adam. You don't think we're so good at thinking. What makes me, what makes me take your question seriously? I mean, the only reason you don't think we're so good at thinking is because you've thought about it, haven't you? So how do you know your thinking is good enough to know that you're not good at thinking? I don't know, but it seems like thinking comes to most of our problems. I don't see a dolphin, you use an example of a dolphin, or an ant colony. I don't see them struggling with... Uh, what should I do with my life, or what's the problem here, or who should I be? They're, they're just there. They just exist. They just exist. That is, they, they're in the, I would assume, in the present moment. They're just there. They don't have instruction. Anymore. It seems like thinking is the main vehicle, the main mechanism through which we're taken out of the present moment, either back to the past or thinking about the future. Stop. Stop. You know, there's once a very famous singer called Adam Ant. <laughs> Adam Ant. Adam Ant. Adam Ant. Obviously, it was Adamant, but I'm saying. Oh. No, his, his name was actually Adam Ant. He called himself Adam I'll give a plain words, right? He was Adamant. But uh, so I, I'm not trying to. And I'm not trying to dispel your, your, your desires to become an ant. And I think it's. <laughs> I, I think it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> What you're suggesting is, and, and it's interesting, um, let's just go with your, you've got a very, very unique perspective of that. You know, for me, I'm looking at the world in a hierarchical fashion. And I'm looking at humans as being a higher species than, than let's say, animal life. And I'm looking for points of differentiation between them. Now, what you're definitely right is that the entire, not only animal kingdom, but the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and according to the Jewish spiritual system, the angelic kingdom, none of them have any issues. They have no issues. They just do. That's why, if you look at the animal kingdom, 
you will not find a single species whose spine is not parallel to the ground. Because one of the most obvious ways that we demonstrate submission is through the bow. The animal kingdom is perpetually bowed down to the will of Hashem. It doesn't disappear, not even once. It has no issues. Man is the only person, the only being, that stands upright. As if he has an independent will. An independent rulership over the creation. There's not another single, there's not, there's not another creature in the world that does that. So, Giraffe spine goes like this. His neck is he's got a very long neck, right? Okay, again, this is what happens when Canadians start to speak about African wildlife. Okay, he thinks of a giraffe. He looks at the giraffe as a neck with legs. Sorry, I'll leave It's time for you to join us on the safari graph. <laughs> so, now the kashi is really from kangaroos. Kangaroos, hey. Well, primates are the are the are the the intermediate. Even if you look at primates, it's in- interesting. Next time you're in the zoo, it's like I had a quite interesting when I went to the zoo last. Monkeys are always the attraction. <laughs> no, they are. You, 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 there's nothing better than watching the monkeys because yeah. because they got real personalities and they're like, I mean, we won't go down. We won't go the the gorilla. The gorilla. I mean, there are people. You go to forests in mid-Africa to watch gorillas. I'm not saying any particular person in this share at this point in time. I'm just putting it out there that there are people who go on gorilla-watching expeditions, taking chances. But the people do that because monkeys are the best. Monkeys, gorillas, baboons, they're fantastic to watch. They really are. Um, chimpanzees. And the reason why is because like, you, can, you can find so many of your friends. <laughs> 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 generally the truth is generally it's your relatives <laughs> oh, you know, especially when you've got your other relatives there you can manage go through the whole troop and you can find the guns and mishpocha because <laughs> they've got personalities in other words what's enjoyable about monkey watching is uh, their humanity but even you watch them it was really hard for me. I was trying to like look at them as my like, uh, as like my my Zaydas and Bobas. <laughs> I had a tough time doing that. I felt like I felt a little bit more than them. I really did. I didn't feel like they were the Mayichas. Saying, granted, I'm not an evolutionist, but even if I wanted to be, I would I would have a tough time like with that kind of that kind of family tree. <laughs> like you go, you go. Like imagine, imagine like how funny it would be. You'd go like, you know, and my father this, and then you go all the way back to Rashi and the Rabbi time, and then you know to the Navim, the Ksuvim, and eventually land up at like the prime gorilla. <laughs> and like before, eventually, like you get your squid. You say, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um But but the, the animal kingdom is a very different kingdom. Even you. So if you watch primates, they actually. It's fascinating to watch them. It's almost as if they stand upright and then they are almost compelled to bow perpetually. Whenever they run, they don't run on their high legs. It's interesting, the reason why a primate, we stand upright and um, even gorillas who can stand upright, but their, um, the, their, their spine 
is not, is not where our spine is S-shaped. There's this like curvature at the bottom of our spine, and that's what allows us to stand upright, upright with our pelvis straight. But gorillas, they, they, they don't have a curvature at the bottom of their spine. So if, if they, they, they can't, it's almost, they can't, if they stand up straight, they have to bend their legs. They can't straighten their legs and straighten their backs. They always like, need to be bent over somewhat. And whenever there's, there's running involved within their back, they don't run upright. You know, you know, they're like Karl Marx stood on the side of the pitch. Um, <laughs> um, so, hey? So kangaroos as well. If you look at kangaroos, actually, they, 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 when they, they, they do like sometimes get up on their hind legs and they box. But in general, they, in ge- no, they do. Boxing kangaroos. Kangaroos, yeah. So, so what do you want to say more, Ed? How about this? Okay, let's hear it. I like the passion. Animals. Animals. And you have human beings. Human beings. That you have spiritual beings. Spiritual beings. Totally spiritual. Human beings in the middle. In the middle. The thing that differentiates human beings from animals and spiritual beings is the ability to think. That thinking can either take us. No, 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 not true, not true, not true. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. So you've got the animal kingdom, right? The animal kingdom, no issues, has no issues. You never have, like, you're right, you never have an, a line with an identity crisis that wants to become a vegetarian. Never. Never. Right? And you never get, like, a very aggressive impala that wants to, like, start preying on lions. Possible. Possible. <laughs> so Africans find this much funnier because, like, this is, like, really the way we grew up. Um, in the angelic world, there's loads of thinking going on, but there's also no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no identity issues. I, I, Spiritual beings are, are highly, highly developed intellectually, for want of a better word. They can think. They, they, they are higher. They are higher form, let's say, um, of intellectual property than man. Um, oh, so, what differentiates man between every other creature in the entire creation is choice. That, that's the point. It's not intellect. And it's not it's not uh, body. It's choice. It's choice. So once you have choice, so then there is going to be conflict, internal conflict, because that's what choice is about. It's about having two options, and having to struggle between them. So you're right. Ants never have issues, and dolphins never have issues because they don't have choice. Man is going to have issues because man has choice, and that's why we have issues. Now you can't just avoid that. You have to embrace it. We have to think how and where and how and how that works. But right now we're going to have to stop. I want to thank you for your, for your apt attention. And please uh, feel free to come back or not come back at your will. Another time, another place. Same place.